This episode of Tour Denver is brought to you in collaboration with Sunrise Robot. Be sure to visit sunriserobot.net and discover other great podcasts about the arts, technology, and culture. Tour Denver is a storytelling event created by Amber Blaze, Derek Mund, and me, Michael Edwards. Hi, I'm Amber Blaze. Tour events take place live at venues around Denver, Colorado. Each night, a theme is chosen and three curated storytellers share their tales. In addition to the three chosen raconteurs, audience members have an opportunity to sign up and tell their own stories. All of these stories are told without any written notes, with each storyteller living in the moment with the audience. See the full schedule of upcoming raconteur events and listen to other episodes at raconteurdenver.com. This raconteur event took place on November 3rd at Leon Gallery in Denver. Our topic this evening was First Denver Anything. During each Tour event, we invite the audience to sign up and tell their own stories. Each impromptu Tour has three minutes to share a tale on the topic of the evening. These stories are often unprepared, and we never know what we're going to get. So far, each evening has been a delightful surprise, and November's event was no exception. Our first impromptu raconteur, Erica, tells us about her first Denver job. Hi everyone, I'm Erica, and I'm here to tell you about my first Denver job. So um, I've had a lot of different jobs, and um, this one kind of happened because I sort of got laid off. I think it was just a a nice way of firing me um, in an email on a Monday. So the next day I was like, okay, I need to hustle. Um, What can I do, you know? kind of last minute, pulling this out of my ass type thing. And I'm like, oh, I can wait tables. And it was March Madness. And so I went to the KU bar, because I went to University of Kansas. And I'm like, hey, I'm Erica. You know, I can wait tables, blah, blah, blah. And so they're like, cool, you're hired. Um, but I'm like really not good at waiting tables, because um, <laughs> there's like an element of fake niceness that comes with it. And I'm just like really not good at that. Um, If you're my friend, you know that. Um, So there were several incidents that led to what I've called um, quit firing, which is like, it's kind of unclear which one happened first. Um, So about two weeks in, I was told by management that people were requesting to not sit in my section. Um, Specifically, they didn't want to sit in the nonchalant waitresses section. Um, I didn't have a name, that was just like who I was to the general public. And then um, other incidents that somehow would get back to management, like, um, was a sports bar, right? So people go in there and get all drunk and stuff, and that's cool, but um, like this table I had of dudes who got really trashed, and one dude came back and he's like, hey. And you know, he was drunk. And I go, man, you look like you pooped your pants. And he's like, what? And he's, I was like, dude, you're standing and just like so awkward, like you, you shit yourself. And he's like, I just actually wanted to win a bet with my friends if I could get your number. And I was like, listen, here's the deal. We're going to split it 50-50, but I'm giving you, I gave him my dad's number. Now, before you think I'm a jerk, my dad and I have this agreement. So it's cool. So anyway, 
Um, and my dad, yeah, no, my dad's so nice about it. He's like my own personal mafia. So um, then I decided to take off for South America for like six weeks, and they somehow like allowed that. Um, but when I came back, we had this all staff meeting, and they were like, everything here sucks, we're getting a new menu, blah, blah, blah. And everyone's here on a trial basis, especially those of us with attitudes. And they like looked right at me and I was like, I better quit before I get fired. So I went in that day after my shift and I was like, you know, it's been great, but instead of two weeks, why don't I just give you like two minutes and like, we could just be done. And they were like, we, we think that's a great plan. So, um, yeah, that was my first Denver job. It's gotten a little bit better since then, but I don't, I, I haven't waited tables since then, and I don't think I ever probably will, because I suck at it. So yeah, first Denver job. Our next impromptu raconteur is Brendan, who tells us a story about a football game. I, I was struggling to figure out my first Denver anything, and um, my first Denver anything evening that I could really think of, the best part of the story was not my first, but it was a CSU-CU football game, and it was one of the first ones that they had at Mile High Stadium. So I had to go to this, obviously. So two, two of my best college buddies uh, and me, we carpool down, we're gonna get drunk, and like I'm, I'm there, I'm drinking in the parking lot, I'm getting wasted, and I get a text message from my bandmates reminding me that we have a show this same day that I totally forgot about. Uh, show, a show at the Larimer Lounge, uh, uh, we've been playing bass, or I play bass in this band. We've been playing around Denver for a while. And so I'm like, oh, I can swing it. I can make both. No problem. The game's at 3 o'clock. So shows, shows at 9 or 10, something like that. So uh, we're at the game. We're getting wasted. Um, in fact, um, one of my buddies gets thrown out of the game or thrown in the game jail for getting so drunk. He's grabbing, like, random people by the head. like, ah, ah. Like, uh, the so security came, pulled him out. We, we didn't even care. We were so drunk. We were just like, ah, later, Richie, screw you. <laughs> uh, we, so me and my other buddy, Rob, we watched the entire game. And then, uh, like, all right, now it's time to go downtown. I've totally lost track of uh, time. Um, my bandmates are calling me frantically over and over again. I'm not answering my cell phone. Um, next thing I know, I'm in the middle of this bar hitting on this 45-year-old woman. I'm like 21, 22 at this point, but I'm totally crushing it. I even get her number. And (laughs) and I'm like, all right, uh, I'm leaving. And then my buddy Rob's like, don't you have a show tonight? I'm like, oh, shit. And uh, I'm on 16th Street Mall. The show's all the way up at Larimer Lounge. And uh, I don't know why I didn't get a cab, but I decided to sprint up there. (laughs) Uh, And we've got like 30 minutes before we go on, and I I look at my phone, and they're like, we're setting up, we're sound testing, where the hell are you? So I I run up there. They ended up breaking into my house to get my gear and brought to the show for me. They set everything up. All I had to do was just like tune my bass and warm up. So I I get on stage. I pull out my bass. I don't know if anyone here plays bass, but it's really hard to break a bass string. They're, they're thick, right? I take one pluck of, of my low E, mind you, the thickest, biggest string that you should never be able to break. I play I, one pluck, boing. I'm like, shit, it just snaps in half. 
And so, of course, they're already pissed at me. Everyone's yelling at me. The audience is looking at me. I'm like sweaty because I just ran two miles. Um, I'm like, does anyone have a bass I could borrow? <laughs> and I did not see the opening act, but it was uh, a girl band, and the girl was awesome. She's like, yeah, you can borrow my bass. So I'm like, whew, all right, sweet. So uh, she walks up, hands me this bass, and I don't know it at first because it's kind of sideways, but she hands it to me and turns it, and it's a pink heart-shaped bass. <laughs> so... I'm like, all right, there's only one way to rock this. I like took my shirt off and I was just like, just like played probably the best show of my life. Uh, even, even though I could barely stand up. And, uh, and I don't know how many compliments I got at the end of the night from the fans out there, but uh, talk about showmanship. And our next impromptu raconteur is Kevin, who talks about his first Denver RTD experience. This is my first Denver RTD experience. And <laughs> it starts when I'm 18 and I'm a freshman at University of Colorado and I hear bluegrass for the first time and I get obsessed and I can't stop thinking about it and I and I get this disease I call the musical instrument disease where I just buy every musical instrument that I can ever think of that's related to bluegrass and so the first thing I do is buy the cheapest instrument I can think of on I think this was like pre-cell phones pre-google it must have been like a Netscape search or something but I search for you know a web crawler and I search for this, this rare exotic instrument called the mountain dulcimer. And if anyone knows what this instrument looks like, it's like, a, like waves. It sounds like waves. It feels like waves. It's just a great, great instrument. And I see one on eBay for $60. I'm like, this thing's worth $300. i am getting a deal. And so I order it. And I, I'm on AOL chat, Scallywag17, for those of you who want to get a hold of me. Um, and I... And I my friend that, that uh, I got obsessed with bluegrass with is, you know, two floors below me in the dorms. Like, dude, I got this thing on eBay. It's coming in the mail. We got to find stuff about dulcimers. And so uh, I'm looking all over. It comes in the mail and there's no strings on it. I'm like, well, damn it, you know, got it. But I don't have strings, so I can't play it. And so I call all the shops and no one has dulcimer strings. No one even knows what a mountain dulcimer is. And so... Finally, I look and find this one business called Hughes Dulcimer, East Colfax, Denver, Colorado. It's a dulcimer shop, sweet. And so somehow um, we find the address and I don't know how you search for stuff back then. I can't even remember how like we got the directions, but we had to take four or five different buses to get to East Colfax. And for me being from the suburbs of Detroit, coming out to Denver, or Boulder, and then actually getting on like a public bus, let alone four, and going to East Colfax was a revelation. And so me and my friend get up at eight in the morning and get on one bus, and it takes us down to Market Street Station. I'm like, oh my God, look at these buildings. And then we keep on going, get on the, it must have been the free mall ride down to Colfax, and then we get on the Colfax bus. And, you know, I have the address in hand. I'm so excited. I even have the dulcimer with me, you know, to, like, make sure it strings up all right. And so we get off at the stop where I think the address is and get out and look around. There's nothing. And there's no huge dulcimer. And so um, I'm looking around, 
can't find anything. So we go into McDonald's, get a cup of coffee and reassess our plan. Like there's, there's no dulcimer shop. It's a hoax. Like, what are we going to do? We got to get this thing strung up. And so we walk outside a little more and we're walking down the block and can't find anything. And then we're, you know, kind of standing there about to give up and look up. And behind us is this faded old yellow sign that says Hughes Dulcimer. Yes, we found it. And so all of this, like, months have been leading up to this moment to get this thing restrung and see how it sounds. So we walk in the door and it's deadly quiet and there's dust everywhere, piles of dust and the sunlight's coming through the window and it looks like an old, you know, like film noir movie and no one's in there. And so we walk around, it's all squeaky on the floors and there's instruments everywhere that no one has touched in years. And so we walk around and like yelling hello and no one's coming up to the front. And so we pick up some dulcimers. There's a hurdy-gurdy, which is an amazing instrument um, that just so happened to be in Hughes dulcimer. And finally we get to another room and there's a dog sleeping there. And there's an old man sitting right behind the dog. And uh, I say, are you Hugh? (laughs) And he says, Norman's in Alaska. And, and then I say, well, who built all these instruments? And he said, I built them all. I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And, and that's all he said. And then I'm, we're wandering around and I, I find a book about how to play the mountain dulcimer. And I see strings to string the mountain dulcimer. And uh, we play a couple of instruments and I'm about ready to leave and I have a $20 bill and I'm like, thank you so much. Like we've been looking everywhere and like, this is so cool. Like you make dulcimers and this is awesome. Um, I'd like to get this book in these strings. And so I go to give him the money and no one had been in this shop in many years, it feels like. And he goes, well, I don't have any change. I was like, okay. And he says, well, next time you come back, why don't you just settle up then? And so I walked out with the book and the strings and I haven't been back. So <laughs> this is a confession of a public debt that I have from 16 years ago. If anyone knows any information about Hughes Dulcimer, let me know, and uh, I'd like to clear this up. Thank you. In our final impromptu tour this episode, John tells us about his first Denver job. So I moved, when I moved to Colorado, I needed a job. I was a teacher back then. I sent resumes everywhere. The first place that called me was called Colorado Heights University. Has anyone heard of this place? Of course you haven't. It's out out on Federal, way past Englewood. Uh, I drove out there. It is a giant, hulking complex of a place uh, that seems to have been built around the turn of the century and is now almost entirely abandoned drained swimming pool, boarded up windows. Uh, I finally found an administrator uh, past the empty chapel in his office and I said, uh, all right, you know, (laughs) what have you got for me? He said, we teach contemporary business English. Uh, Here's the textbook, it's from UK, we've got some new ones on order. The school's really underpopulated right now, so some of the classes might be a little thin, five, six students at most tops. 
Uh, some of them have busy lives, they work. Uh, some of them, are, we have a lot of students coming in from Ukraine now, a few undoc undocumented students uh, in America, uh, from America, uh, uh, Mexican ancestry. Uh, you, you'll have a good time, you're gonna love the students, they're great. I said, all right. And my class was located in this big old-fashioned library, beautiful library, shelf after shelf of books, none of which had been ordered any later than 1965. The school used to be a Catholic girls' school. <laughs> it was closed down, then it was bought by a shady Japanese company. It was resold to this new company that was clearly using it to launder money. Because day after day, I arrived in my office in this library with a gorgeous view of the Rocky Mountains and all the, you know, the greatest works of mankind behind me on the shelves. And no one came. <laughs> And I would sit in this office all day and I would sort of stare at the mountains and eventually I'd go and get something to read. Uh, There's a lot to choose from. And, uh, and one day I came in you know, with my coffee. I wasn't really on time, I didn't see the need. And uh, I brought my own book for some reason and I, uh, I sat down and I looked across from me and there in the seat before me was a student. <laughs> uh, it was real. Uh, his, his, na his name was, Sir he was real, his name was Sergei. Uh, he was from Belarus. And he had some uh, blackberry bread, which he offered me, and he waited patiently while I tasted it. It was very good. And when my mouth was full, he said, looking forward to class first, I have a little favor. <laughs> Could you make phone call for me? <laughs> Uh, I said, sure, <laughs> who do you want me to call? He said, I'm having trouble with bank. Uh, I tried to call my bank, I want my balance, but for some reason they don't tell balance. I think maybe they don't understand my English, not so good, is good, it's not so good. I said, no, the phrase is not so good. Uh, uh, what, uh, what do you want me to say to your bank? Uh, and he said, just found, you know, I, they keep saying my account empty and it's not empty and I want you to make sure there is money in my account because I put the check in in my account. It should be there. Uh, all right, well, it's probably a crime. Um, but I want him to like me because I want him to stay. You know, I want to I learn UK business English with somebody. Uh, so... So I said, give me the phone. He hands me, because I'm not gonna do it on my phone. So he gives me his cell phone. I call his bank. Uh, they say, hello, who is this? I say, is Sergei Rokov? <laughs> I should backtrack. He said to me before I opened my mouth, he said, do me a favor, please. Make a little accent. More convincing. I said, okay. I said, ah, is Sergei Rokov? I uh, called to check my account. I called before, and these, you say there's no money in the account, and I think maybe it's my English. And they said, uh, they said, okay, what's your social security number? And I said, ah, social security number is nine-digit number. <laughs> Government give. Uh, do they give to residents from uh, student residents get number? Oh, yes, uh, we do. Yes, here it is, here it is. <laughs> We proceeded through the call. Uh, they wanted my birth date. They wanted my mother's maiden name. <laughs> they wanted me to pronounce it again. And uh, at the end of the call, it turns out I had some money in my account. 
Uh, and I thanked them, hung up the phone. Sergey was much reassured. And before we moved on to class time, uh, I said, oh, what did you think of the accent? He said, you'll make accent? Thank you for listening to this episode of Tour Denver. If you enjoyed this story and live in Denver, join us at the Ubi Sabubi Room under the Thin Man on January 10th for our next Tour event with the topic of Arrested. Here's a reminder to visit RacontourDenver.com where you can find upcoming events, speaker bios, podcasts, and more. This podcast was recorded and edited by Michael Edwards of Sunrise Robot. Visit sunriserobot.net and discover other great podcasts about the arts, technology, and culture.